Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We're talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better or for the worse, or still to be determined, as we move out of shutdown. We want to give thanks to our donors like John and Francis Taz, who funded the production of this episode. If you like what you hear, please help us continue by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. Long ago in the before times, a first date often involved dinner and a movie, a few drinks in a crowded bar, and if things went well, a goodnight kiss. Cut to the year 2020, in which the coronavirus changed all of that with social distancing, mask wearing, and the threat of catching a deadly disease. But right now, when every adult is eligible for vaccination and able to do more of their regular again, dating has come back in force. The hottest pickup line right now may be, hey, I'm vaccinated. But romance may never go back to what it once was. For some people, the coronavirus brought on stressors and fears too heavy to shake off overnight. Other single people said the pandemic's long periods of isolation have inspired awakenings and shifted their priorities, for better or worse. What does the future hold for modern dating, romance, and relationships? Join us as we talk with two people who focus on getting the answers to those questions. Paul Eastwick is a professor of psychology at UC Davis and is the head of the university's Attraction and Relationship Research Lab. Julie Kraftchik is producer and co-host of the podcast Dateable, which focuses on sex, love, dating and relationships, and how people go about getting them. They will tell us what to expect when it comes to virtual and face-to-face -face dating, how to keep current relationships going, and whether it's really shaping up to be a hot vax summer. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm executive director of California Groundbreakers and thank you for tuning in today. So we're recording this episode just before Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial kickoff to summer. And this year, it seems like it's the start of Shock Girl Summer or Hot Back Summer. For those of you who have ever heard, never heard those terms, I just heard them a couple of days ago, they're a play on Hot Girl Summer. That's the title of a hit song from Megan Thee Stallion in the summer of 2019, which seems like forever ago. But now as we enter the summer of 2021, about half of eligible Americans are on the verge of full vaccination, and we're coming out of our homes to do more of the things that we used to do pre-pandemic. And that includes two things that historically have caused us both incredible joy and maybe also incredible frustration, fear, loathing, dread. <laughs> and that is finding and maintaining a good relationship. So for some people, the prospect of dating like normal is exciting. For others, it can be like FODA or fear of dating again, because post-pandemic dating could be a total question mark and a leap into the great unknown. And for those who are in relationships that happened before the pandemic or started during the pandemic, the future may also be an unknown, since the coronavirus has caused all of us so many stressors, personally and professionally, which can take a toll on romance, passion, and affection for the person that you may have been holed up with in the same house for the past 14 plus months. So I brought together two people 
who look in depth at the topics of dating and relationships on a regular basis and probably get asked a lot of questions about those topics on a regular basis, maybe even more so these days than ever before. I'm going to ask them some questions, my own and a few that I've gathered from some interested parties about relationships, romance, and how to manage both of those as we step out of the pandemic. So first, I'd like to introduce Paul Eastwick. He is professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, and Paul teaches graduate and undergrad courses on close relationships and evolutionary psychology, and he also runs the Attraction and Relationship Research Laboratory at UC Davis, which sounds like a very cool place to do research. Yes, it is. And <laughs> so thanks, Paul, for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. And also we have Julie Krapchik. She is co-host and producer of Dateable, one of the top podcasts about love, sex, and dating, with a focus on the modern culture of dating and why people date the way they do. And last year, Julie started the online communities Love in the Time of Corona, love that title, and also The Sounding Board to let Dateable listeners discuss all the changes happening in the dating landscape due to the pandemic. Julie lives in San Francisco, and her other job is as an app designer and researcher who focuses on using technology to foster human connection. So Julie, welcome to you as well. So this is a very, this is a very exciting conversation. I just, I'll tell you, I'm I'm not, I'm not dating. I'm not in a relationship. I'm just kind of like on the fence right now. So it's not FOMO, but it's also not YOLO. Uh, but I'd love to hear what questions, what answers you have to, to the questions that I have and others. So I'm going to start with kind of an over, overview question about maybe what you have heard or seen or viewed in the past, in the past year about um, what people are thinking, doing, feeling about having or seeking a relationship during the pandemic. Uh, I know, Paul, you didn't ask me anything on Reddit a few months ago, so I, I, I saw some interesting questions that you were asked, and I, I took a few of them to add later on to, to the ones that I'm going to ask you. And Julie, with your sounding board and love in the time of cholera, I bet you get a whole bunch. So I just wanted to ask, ask you both, like from things like that, questions coming in, what are some notable things that you've seen, if anything, about people's views of dating and relationships during this, this past year and a half? Julie, you would like yeah, to start? Sure. I mean, honestly, I think it's come in waves. It's been a long year and a half for sure. And I think people started off super excited about this, like, you know, new virtual way of dating. And then when shutdowns continued and continued, people lost a lot of hope. And now I think it's on the upswing again, because there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine. And I think people like people's experience has greatly varied too. Like, I think a lot of it depends on their personal situation. Like some people have said that like being single right now is really freaking hard. And it's kind of like that underrepresented um, demographic that no one's talking about during the pandemic. And then other people are living their best life kind of like with enough support and, you know, have been continuously dating during this time and just taking those safety precautions, doing video dates, to start doing socially distanced park dates now that things are opening up again meeting outdoors at restaurants so it's changed the way we date we don't have the same like ver like nonverbal cues of physical touch that once were present so I think people have adapted but I think it really depends again on people's safety levels and what they're looking for if they've been dating during this time or not you know I often think about um the, the things that online dating has given us over the last few decades. And it's very fortunate, I think, for a lot of people that online dating was a thing that existed in the forms that it did during the pandemic, because 
it, it, it's, uh, you know, dating during that period of time, in the absence of online dating, you could imagine how tricky and how, uh, frankly, dangerous that could have been. But the version of online dating that people have been doing is a very, like, intentional form of dating. A lot of people describe it as work, right? You have to sit down at your computer and whether it's go through messages or do your swipe, do your daily swiping or, or, um, or do your, do your video chats. And it is not quite the same as the serendipitous. You happen to run into this person two times over the last 10 days. And now you struck up a conversation. Like there, there is a, a serendipitous way that um, used that you know would have been very prominent p- prior to the pandemic, and I'm curious to see if people are going to remember how to do that uh, once we get back out there. Yeah, that that ties in great, Paul, with the next question I have, focusing on online dating, because it did seem like before the pandemic, I got the general sense people were like, oh. Tinder is just swiping and it's uh, you get a text maybe that says, hey, and that's it. And there's no uh, the interaction is just pretty fast and furious or or non-existent. And these are just uh, a couple of people telling me that with online dating during the pandemic, it does seem more intentional. People have to make more of an effort. They're maybe more willing to make more of an effort. And one of my friends said, it's kind of like courting in Jane Austen era, where it's slow moving. There's maybe more, uh, if not letter writing, more detailed conversation before uh, taking the plunge in whatever way, because there's that cautiousness and there is more of that uh, uh, distance that you have to take for health reasons. I was wondering if, if that seems uh, applicable to either of you, um, a little more intentional, especially with the dating, whether it's online or face-to-face. Absolutely. Like, I think that is a word that we keep hearing. And I was actually going to mention that from what Paul just said, intentional definitely stands out to me as what has really changed during this pandemic. And app usage has been super interesting because a lot of, you know, like the Bay Area apps have been around for a long time. So this has been something that's been prominent in a lot of our dating lives before the pandemic. But what we've noticed with our communities, it's all around the country. We even have people in different countries that are weighing in and a lot of people of different demographics. We have people that range from, you know, Gen Z to Gen X. And I think a lot of people are trying online dating for the first time, which I mean, because they were forced to, right? Like there's no other outlet. And I think the experiences have greatly like vary depending on people. I've heard these like ultra romantic things like kind of back to what you were just saying, Vanessa, about like the Jane Austen side. It's like I've heard of people like do like sending like virtual flowers like through or like, you know, serenading over Zoom. Like there's been some really nice stuff that have come out of this or even doing a picnic in the park. Like that's very romantic. But then I think the same frustrations with dating apps. I think initially at the start, we were hoping that kind of people would reset a bit and there wouldn't be as much of the ghosting. There wouldn't be as much of the flaking, breadcrumbing, all the stuff that's been like traditional challenges with dating apps. But that stuff has persisted. And I think ultimately it comes down to the individual. Like I look at dating apps as a vehicle. They're a new way to meet new people that you wouldn't have come in contact with before. And I think a lot of people can get hung up with on 
the behavior of just humans on these dating apps. So I think that it's been a really interesting time that more and more people have been on dating apps than ever before. And a lot of new people have been circling in. You know, I'm often fond of uh, emphasizing for people this idea of, uh, you know, the, using dating apps to reach out to different social circles and to treat it a little bit less like a market that you're trying to succeed in. And I do think that that is one of the, um, that one of the challenges of online dating is that when you um, limit people's exposure to what you're really like, you tend to reward things like physical attractiveness, obviously in the form of photographs or, or whatever you post, but also, I mean, you know, letter writing skills, right? I mean, you know, sort of in, in, uh, in the 1800s, right? You would be rewarded for those kinds of skills. And I think we lose sight of the fact that when people naturally move in, out, in and out of different social networks, um, when people um, have more happenstance encounters, meeting friends of friends, doing various other activities, um, those are less market-like than um, than these than the sort of markets that online dating creates, and I think what that means is that it's it's a space where you have fewer winners and losers. It doesn't necessarily mean there's less heartbreak, but it's a little bit more of an even playing field under those circumstances. And one thing that I wonder about is how many people during the pandemic without that avenue and all at all just felt totally crushed by the inability to compete in the online dating space and uh you know that's something that uh that you know that i i worry about a little bit that that without those sort of regular social interaction avenues that we didn't have that th there's a big group of people out there who who got left out well that hasn't perfectly your Paul you're tying into my next questions perfectly um I was wondering now that we're entering this summer whether it's hot vax shot vax or FOMO um I've been reading a lot of commentary on what the summer post-pandemic dating uh, looks like and there's um references a lot to the roaring 20s like with the the previous pandemic we had back in 1918 uh that led indirectly or in some ways to the roaring 20s, people just letting loose. Uh, but then someone also said, could it be like post-World War II in a way where people have just seen so much death and, you know, let's just get married and have a family? Uh, or is it just human psychology? It's, it's only been 14 months and, and we may not even remember this in a few years and people just inevitably had their, uh, their personality and psychology, they'll just act the way they do. Um, so what, are, I don't know if you have thoughts about what your, what, as we exit or the pandemic, will there be some kind of mad rush to interact in person or to like commit, be, you know, based on how you feel about this pandemic and its aftermath? I think it's going to widely depend on people, stage of life and where they are. I think that it's hard to make overall, like, 
sweeping views of the pandemic because I think people are in different places and that's even pre-pandemic like we've seen you know the people that want to just get out there and hook up and have casual relationships versus the people that have been longing for more serious committed relationships and I definitely think though it's going to have an over I do think there's going to be like a roaring 20s vibe of just like I can already sense it with all the vaccines like people just getting out there whether that means that they're going like crazy and not having committed relationships or not but I think there's definitely going to be the need to socialize in person and add that in. We actually talked to a dating app founder recently on our podcast from Coffee Meets Bagel and asked, like, do we think that, you know, the people that signed up for online dating are just going to leave now? And her take, and I do agree with this, is like, it might kind of pause and get diversified a bit when things start to reopen more. But people have seen the benefit that like, you in theory can't go out every night of the week. I mean, you could in theory, I shouldn't say that you can't, but a lot of people have other responsibilities and they can't, it's, it's hard to do that and to meet people all the time that way. So I think if people start diversifying, kind of like what Paul said, hopefully it will be healthier because it will give like one outlet. It won't be the only outlet, but I think like in general, people have become very intentional of what they're looking for. And I think the people that want of like committed relationship are still going to go down that path just because not because like the vaccine is out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's a, it's a good bet that people are going to be interested in something more serendipitous, right? Putting themselves in situations where anything can happen. Right. I mean, these were, um, you know, sort of movies that I associate with, you know, 10, even 20 years ago, but, you know, the, the, you know, one night out movie and and all the things that can happen, you know, that are totally unpredictable. And um, I'd be willing to bet that those are the kinds of experiences that people have largely uh, felt like they're missing. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the landscape shifts if people decide they want to, they want to put themselves in situations where those things can happen again. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud, that's at soundcloud.com slash California Groundbreakers, or click on the donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. We're doing an episode uh, right after yours, uh, looking at youth and young adults, just how the pandemic has changed so many things for Gen Zers and young millennials. and actually, this ties into a question I have for you, Paul, that you got on an ask. Uh, again, I mentioned up top, you did a Reddit, Ask Me Anything. Uh, I think it was three months ago. It definitely was spring. And I, I thought this was an interesting question you got, because I feel like I hear this a lot and I read this a lot about 
what's your opinion on love that doesn't feel ultra passionate? Um, so this person was 31 and in a one-year relationship, uh, a COVID-19 relationship, where she, she, he felt that she wasn't the one. Um, it feels more mature compared to one that he had at 20 years old, love at first sight and butterflies. But I find it difficult to to judge. Uh, so what do you do when you don't consider yourself massively in love? Uh, especially after one year and you have doubts, should you continue and how passionate should it feel? So I was wondering, you know, this, I, I read and I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, but this view of like, what's, what's the purpose or what's the role of passion and butterflies in the stomach and so forth? Um, this maybe isn't just a pandemic specific question, but maybe this view of relationships going forward, um, what does passion have to do with it anymore? Is it more or less, or again, is that just a sweeping generalization? But it just seems like a question when I saw that one, I thought I, I keep seeing a lot of people asking questions like that just in my personal life. So I wasn't sure if it was a trend. Yeah, no, I mean, it, this is a tricky question. And with, with all of um, any questions that end up getting sort of bound to a specific narrative, I mean, I, I think that you know, we all are sort of aware of this when it's our own lives, but it's hard to appreciate when it's about other people's lives is that there's, you know, a deep narrative that emerges in the context of any one relationship, right? How did you get to this point? And where was the passion? And where did it go? Because it usually does fade, um, at least to some extent for most people, that is the average thing that you tend to see. Um, and, you know, are there things you can do to get it back? Um, probably there are ways of changing um, activities and and uh, doing more novel and exciting things together that have been shown that that can uh, increase passion to some extent. But the broader question of like, how do I know whether this is the relationship for me or not is uh, one of the most deeply personal um, uh, questions that we don't have good, clear answers for. It is nearly impossible to take everything about your relationship right now and do much to predict about whether it's going to get better or get worse from here, right? All right? It's, it's like the best we have is the moment of where you are right now. Uh, so, so, uh, these things end up being extremely challenging because the predictability of relationships is, uh, is, is so, is so tricky. And unpredictable. You, <laughs> you know, what's really fascinating though, is that a lot of people that have had COVID relationships, their relationship has been set up differently, depending on when they met during COVID, of course, but the people that have met when we were really homebound, a lot of them are like doing their first trips together, their first like meeting of friends and like family and like stuff that they might have done earlier on because of COVID, right? So I think it's, I mean, I, I don't think we have like the data at this point to see how these turn out because it's just too early, but it's going to be really interesting to see if like there's an opposite passion spike because they're now like doing more like activities and doing more stuff out in the world. Yeah, that, that's a good point. There's a case to be made that the elongated trajectory that some of these relationships would have had um, will lead those initial experience. It will just feel like a longer initial phase 
uh, for those relationships. And that's, uh, th that's uh, sort of interesting to, to speculate about and consider. Yeah, we've also heard about turbo relationships. I'm not sure if this is a term that has basically been like the relationship on turbo speed. So like people that, you know, are, are like moving ultra fast because, you know, it, at the like with the pandemic, people are doing less serial dating. They're committing faster, especially when there's, you know, sexual activity involved. It's like, you know, COVID is an STD. So it's like there's different things that have changed the way that people like project their relationship timelines. And we've seen personally some of that work out really great. It's like move fast track. Like one of the things that we said before the pandemic was that everyone was kind of in this game of relationship chicken. Like no one wanted to make the move. And it just kind of sat idle because both people weren't like moving it forward. And we've seen people move it forward. And I think some of those have been great. They've resulted in like long term relationships and then others have fizzled out fast, which, you know, might not be the worst thing. I think like like startups, like there's a fail fast mentality. And like sometimes it's better to learn quickly that it's not a compatible match than to have something span out, seeing someone once a week for like six months to a year and then realizing that. And this is just something that I have noted uh, in terms of looking at people's Instagram feeds for the past 14 months. Uh, every so often, or actually more than I thought I would see, are photos of people who just got married in their backyard or in a park, uh, and they're all masked with their, you know, two or four or 10 people attending. And I, I remember before the pandemic, there was just so much... Uh, uh, focus on weddings and all the reality shows, uh, the Bridezilla shows, and just wedding was such a big deal. And I just thought that's interesting to me, my friends who just said, I want to get married. I want to get married. I don't need the wedding. Um, and I was wondering if that makes a marriage stronger because it wasn't about the wedding. But I just thought that's very notable to me to see that, you know, it's maybe the pandemic made them think differently about what matters in a relationship and this celebration of love with all your hundreds of friends and a big cake may not be uh, as big a deal as you thought. Um, so that was just my take. I wasn't sure if you had any uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, the nature of marriage has has changed a lot, even over the last few decades, right? It wasn't that long ago where marriage was a thing you did as just one of many steps on the way to becoming an adult. And now it's one of these, you know, markers of achievement that you, um, you know, that you acquire upon reaching adulthood. You need to be an adult in order to uh, be married and everybody comes together to celebrate your, uh, your arrival uh, at adulthood. And um, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, so I agree there is a sense of um, if people are making the marriages really just about the relationship and not about this sort of like um, uh, broader uh, acceptance of, of being an adult, that might lead to better decisions. There's another, there's a flip side to that, which is that um, a really important predictor of whether relationships do well or poorly is whether you have support from your broader social network. So um, are your friends and family generally supportive of this relationship? And it'll be interesting to see what happens if people have gone through with these relationships, haven't gone through the, the phases of meeting the friends and meeting the parents and sort of, you know, negotiating how those relationships are going to happen until you've already uh, sealed the marriage. What, is, what exactly is that going to do? Will those 
marriages be as integrated into uh, people's social networks as they would have been in the past, I think is an interesting question. I mean, I've seen and heard of couples that met during COVID now getting married. So their entire relationship has been in this like like year to 14 month mark. And, you know, on some side, like there is studies, the older you get, a lot of times relationships just move faster because you know what you want and you're like wasting less time and just kind of moving on with life. But I think COVID has given people a lot of time together too. Like it's made us all slow down and really focus on more of the simple things in life. And I think I agree with you, Vanessa, in the sense that like, there's something really nice about the fact that people are looking at marriage as like not the big party, but more of just unifying their lives together. That being said, like, I think it's a personal choice. And I don't know if it's like an indicator that one is stronger than the other. Like, I definitely have heard of people that are waiting because they do, they see the value kind of like what Paul was saying of like celebrating with friends and family and having that big celebration and, you know, starting that milestone next chapter. And other people don't view it as much as that. So I think it's just a personal decision. But I do think it has changed weddings and the expectations of weddings for sure. And just a couple more questions for you both. Um, on that note, again, of being in a relationship, the previous podcast episode we did was on parenting during the pandemic and just work-life balance, uh, how that will be uh, addressed and maybe even resolved as we go out of the pandemic. But I was talking to two working parents, two working mothers, and I think like many of you, you also know working parents and just the frustrations just, you know, multiplied during the pandemic. And it did make me think about, you know, we're talking about childcare and and work, but we didn't talk about relationships in that episode, but it did make me think, how are these relationships coping? How can they handle them? How can they keep, you know, sanity and, and closeness? And I know we talked about this uh, uh, earlier, but I was wondering specifically what you're seeing and what you're thinking about relationships uh, that have been taking so many stressors in the past year and a half. Um, advice or just thoughts on, on how to keep it going and keep your sanity. I mean, I think this, the pandemic has definitely like shined a light on what is happening in relationships. Like I've heard of couples that have really thrived and brought their relationship to the next level because like, you know, they're now spending all this time together. There's not as many distractions. But then I've also heard of the couples that like a lot of the issues are coming to the surface. And I totally agree that when children are in the mix and homeschooling and other stressors, like, I mean, there's been a lot, I think there's two camps of people like there's the camp people that have had a, like it's been difficult in the pandemic because it's changed up their life, but they haven't had as many stressors necessarily as people that have lost their jobs or had someone ill from the pandemic or have been homeschooled. So I think like those, there is a difference in how people are reacting to the pandemic based on individual circumstance. So I think it has brought like in the times of stress has brought things to the surface that people maybe weren't communicating beforehand. And I mean, like you've heard in China, there there was a lot of divorces. I haven't heard as many stats. I don't know, Paul, if you have in the U.S. that happening as much, but there was like a wild like range of divorce that happened in China because of the pandemic from this. And I think, though, I've definitely heard stories of people that have split during this time, too, because it's like things that have come to the surface that were issues before, but have just resonated so much further. Yeah, it's, you know, these are, Good questions. And, 
you know, uh, the speed of our discipline uh, works such that we probably won't have good answers about this for a little while. Um, for whatever reason, the kind of close relationships work we do, we don't work on the same time scale as the epidemiologists. So it'll take us a little while before we're really able to unpack um, uh, sort of what happened to couples during the pandemic. What did stressors do on average? I mean, it's it's a given that stress is not good for relationships in general, but the question is which couples experienced um, sort of lockdown extended time together as a stressor and which ones didn't. And, um, you know, what seems clear is that what um, sort of these extended periods at home would have done is increased closeness, but in a literal way, right? Closeness in the form of we are spending more time together, our decisions are more interdependent because now it's all meals together. Maybe before it was just one or even zero per day, depending on the kind of work you did. Um, but if you were able to do your job pretty well from home and really what happened to you was that you didn't have to do difficult commutes anymore. And now you get to do multiple meals a day with your partner that could be a, a, you know, a great thing for your relationship. Um, other people, like you were saying, Julie, it could very well expose all sorts of risks that people were just able to ignore before because um, the literal closeness wasn't there that, that, uh, that you know, sort of allowed them to, to get by without these things. So, uh, you know, closeness is a tricky thing. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you end up with more of it, you may uh, discover all sorts of new opportunities in that relationship, or you may discover there were things that weren't working so great. All right, last question for you both. And this is this is an advice one, honestly, because it feels, again, like there's a lot of people who want to go out just to enjoy the summer and just to get out now that that June 15th is that magic date when we can all unmask here in California. But there's still, it feels, and I know I, I feel this way too, it's just that uh, it has been a year and a half and being socially awkward and maybe not remembering what things were like uh, or how they will be like now. Um what it, do you have any advice about you know leaving the house and going out to be social, whether you're looking or not, and um, and and getting over maybe that uncertainty or in, uh, facing the uncertainty about uh, dating in a post-pandemic era? Yeah, I think this is very real. Like, I think we all thought like, oh, as soon as we're let out, it's going to be super easy. We're going to do this. But there's been so many things of like, I've lost all my social skills during this time. And I think, again, it's case by case. Like, I think the people actually in our own community, um, Love in the Time of Corona and the sounding board, they've actually been like flexing their social muscles virtually during this time. And I'm sure there's other ways that people have been doing this. Clubhouses like exploded during this time and other apps like that to recreate some of this virtually. That being said, that's not the same as in person. And I think sometimes it's go it's going to be a personal decision of how do you ease back in? Like we've heard people even say like, I'm used to wearing sweatpants, like wearing real clothes is overwhelming. So I think it's like, maybe you're not going out into like a super like fancy dress day one. Like it's like, how do you take those baby steps? And again, with dating too, it's like, maybe you're not overloading your calendar. Maybe you're still doing video. Like we've heard from 
people that overall video has been a great way to screen dates. People don't want to be on video calls forever anymore, but it's still a good way to like get excited about the date, feel more comfortable about who you're meeting. So maybe that stays. And I think there's a lot of like social proof that that will stay. So maybe it's just easing back in and taking the little steps that you need. And I think just saying to people on dates, like, hey, I like being honest, like I feel socially rusty. Like I am a little uncomfortable right now, but I'm super excited to be here with you. It's like all how you can be vulnerable and spin it. Uh, I think that's right. I think it's going to be a lot of the whole body nonverbal stuff. That's going to feel especially odd in the beginning, right? When you're, you know, the idea of standing and talking to somebody face to face, like looking at them in the eyes, like their actual eyes that are just a few feet feet away from you. Like, boy, does that sound unusual and like (laughs) something that we haven't done on a regular basis. And so, yeah, people need to give themselves a break um, to the extent that that feels awkward and unusual. Maybe try uh, doing some social things where uh, you don't have to look directly at each other, uh, whether that's, um, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of facing in the same direction talking. I mean, you know, I associate with like the typical way that, that uh, men interact with each other is sort of, we're looking kind of in the same direction, but definitely not at each other. And that's a, that, that makes handling the nonverbals a little easier. I'm just, I think just picturing that on a date, kind of like yeah. side-eyeing someone. I think the one thing that actually is going to come out from this is people need to be more verbally expressive. Like in the past, you would, you know, like indicators of interest on a date would be like touching someone's leg or like lightly touching their arm. And that I don't think is going to like jive well in this post pandemic world. I think it's going to be more like, hey, can I kiss you? Like actually saying it, not just going in for it. Because that could be very jarring when, um, you know, we haven't been doing that for quite some time. Time. Please submit a request. In writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flowering Jane Austen style, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I I bought a dress. Oh my God. Now I'm like after hearing this, I I'm not sure. I did buy a dress. I bought a lipstick. I bought some sandals because I do want to enjoy the summer. It's my favorite season. Mm-hmm. Whether we'll meet anyone or not, who knows? But it's just it's just very fun to to get out again. And this has been very, very useful information for me, at least. I'm hopefully for <laughs> others. So I want to say thank you. Thank you, uh, Julie. Thank you, Paul, for uh, coming on and talking to us about this, you know, what this summer will look like, whether it's hot vax or or not. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see. And Paul, I look forward to seeing that study whenever it comes out. (laughs) Thank you for having us. This was so fun. Yes, thanks a lot. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers, This Changes Everything, Episode 9, which was recorded on May 27, 2021. Thanks to Paul Eastwick and Julie Krafchick for taking the time to talk with us. Special thanks again goes to our donors, John and Francis Taz, for funding the production of this episode. Also, thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. 